0: Welcome to Bedtime Story, Adventure 2019, one chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Chapter 22, Jerky Ride. It was suddenly busy in the backstage corridor. The show had ended and all the performers were now streaming out. Jenny couldn't see number eight anywhere as they filtered past people and approached the side of the stage. She did, however, see the hooded man, standing near the stairs to the dragon door, looking in their direction. He started towards them. "'Let's go back,' Jenny said, turning and joining the tide of children leaving. But the exit was blocked too. The men that had been attacked by the crows were standing by the door, carefully watching the performers leave. James pulled Jenny to the side. "'In here,' he whispered opening the little door that led under the stage. They darted inside and pulled the door shut behind them. For a moment it was completely dark, then James had his little keyring torch out and was shuffling a set of cleaning shelves to the side. He slipped past them and Jenny followed, pulling the shelves back into place and joining James behind a wall of boxes. James turned his torch off just in time. The door swung open, and Jenny risked a peek through a gap between two boxes. The hooded man stood in the doorway for a moment, then closed the door again. Come on, James said, turning his torch back on. We can check on the dragon door from in here. You never know. We might see number eight trying to break in. Jenny followed him deep under the stage until they reached a wall where a bunch of cables ran through a hole. He showed her the little sliding door, then turned off his torch and slid it open. A faint orange light seeped out. "'Do you think number eight could be right?' Jenny said quietly. "'By helping Merlina, did we stop the wrong person?' "'I don't trust either of them,' James said. "'The raven hasn't been honest with us from the start. "'And if number eight is trying to do the right thing, "'she's got a funny way of going about it.' "'We know so little about the treasure,' Jenny said. "'If it was stolen from her family, then it would be right that they get it back. I certainly don't agree with burning a building down, though. Even if the treasure is rightfully hers, I'm not sure I want her to have it, James said. And now we have two enemies to worry about, her and those royal guards. If Merlina was right, Jenny pondered, and if the prince is the only person that can open the dragon door, then number eight doesn't have much of a window to try and get her hands on whatever is on the other side. As if in answer to Jenny's thoughts, there was a noise from the little cupboard. This time it was her turn to squeeze in among the cables that snaked down into the room below. Through the grate she could see the dragon door. Then a black shape flashed in front of her, only inches away. Merlina. It was followed by the bulky form of the hooded man, and then someone that Jenny hadn't seen before, but from the red hair, and the immaculate suit. She was sure it was the prince. "'What is that smell?' the prince asked. "'There was a fire at the pavilion. Nothing major,' the hooded man spoke. "'Nothing major?' Jenny thought. "'Only because the Greenhands gang put it out in time.' "'Let's hope everything's all right,' the prince said, pulling out a key from his jacket. "'It would be a terrible shame if the treasures were damaged right before we gave them back, what?' "'Give them back?' Surely the prince wasn't just going to give them back to number eight. It seemed incredible. But then Jenny didn't really know much at all about royalty. The prince unlocked the door, using the dragon's tongue as the handle. It swung inwards, and Jenny couldn't see anything beyond it other than a patch of ordinary-looking floor. Well, the prince's voice came out. Everything's in order, except for that damn feather. They keep on asking about it, but I explained that I'd never even seen it in here. Seemed to think it was important, a key or something. Never heard so much about a feather in my life. He came back out with a leather case in his hands. It was closed, but by the way he was carrying it, it looked heavy. He passed it to the hooded man. Get that safely to the yacht, would you? The prince said. It's extremely valuable. Apparently worth sailing halfway around the world for. Ah, the burden of public duty, what? At least we get to stop at some top beaches along the way. Might even get to do a spot of scuba diving if we're lucky. And with that, the two men and bird left the room. Jenny heard the server rack slide back into place. So the prince wasn't giving the treasures to number eight, and he did know about the feather too. Well, the peregrine falcon had said it was distinctive. She wriggled back out, and James slid the panel closed. She relayed the conversation that she'd heard. The feather, James said. There's something about it that you really should know. Not again. Jenny was getting tired of not being told important things. But her annoyance swiftly disappeared when she learned that the feather was actually the key to the air. Are you sure? she asked. I'm certain of it, James said. It had a power to it. I don't really know what it does, but it all makes sense. Especially the peregrine telling us to keep it safe. It did all make sense. So number eight actually had had it in her grasp but didn't realise it. And now the girl was about to do something really bad. They just didn't know what. We should follow the treasure, Jenny said. Number eight is likely to try and intercept it before it gets to the royal yacht. They made their way back to the boxes and out past the shelves. The little door was now locked from the outside, but it was no match for Jenny and splintered open when she gave it a hard shove. The corridor was empty, and the royal guards were no longer at the door. That must mean that the prince and princess had officially left the building. It was late afternoon and getting colder as they ran round to the front of the dome, just in time to see the hooded man climbing into an expensive black car. It drove away. A taxi, waiting on the other side of the road, went after it. "'What now?' James asked. "'I don't even have my bike.' We know where they're going, Jenny said. We can meet them there, or... She was cut off by the sound of a car horn honking behind them. It was a battered white van, and it was flashing its lights right at the children. It's Zen, James said. He was right. The rat was waving through the windscreen. They ran over and climbed inside. Zen was behind the wheel, and James and Jenny slid onto the front bench seat with their rucksacks on their knees. "'Where's Cousin Bobby?' Jenny asked. "'I'm down here,' a voice called up from the driver's footwell. "'He does the pedals, and I'm at the wheel,' Zen said with glee. "'Never fails. Now that girl is in the taxi ahead. "'You wanted her followed. Well, off we go!' Zen jabbed Bobby's right shoulder with a long ratty foot, and the van jerked forwards. The children quickly found their seat belts and strapped themselves in for the ride. The traffic was thick, so following was not hard, except for when Bobby pushed the wrong pedal and Zen had to give him a swift corrective kick. So number eight was lying about being the rightful owner of the treasure, Jenny said. She is just a thief. I bet she knew that the prince was going to take the treasure back to China, James said, and this was her last chance to get her hands on it. Merlina knew too, Jenny said. It was true. It did seem like the raven had everything under control, but the bird hadn't seen the look on Number Eight's face when she said that she wouldn't let anyone have the treasure. And the bird hadn't taken the fire seriously enough. I still think we're missing something, James said. Number Eight has been ahead of us every step. She knew about the treasure room and how to burn her way into it. The crows are working for her and the rats. When she needed it, she stole the Squiducken key. It was only luck that we found the fire in time to put it out, otherwise the treasures would already be ashes, or in her hands. Wait, Jenny said. If she knew that she had to steal the treasure before the prince took it away, then she must know what he's doing with the treasure now, that he's taking it to his yacht. You think she has a spy inside the royal family, James said, following Jenny's line of thought. No, I don't. The Prince's visit, and his cruise to the Far East, is all over the news. Her spy could be in China, and she could have learned from them that the treasure was going back to its rightful owners. Yes, James said, and I don't think it's a spy we should be worrying about. I think it's a mole. Jenny wasn't quite sure what James meant, but at that moment she saw the hooded man's car turn off toward the marina, but Number 8's taxi kept going straight. ''What do you want me to do?'' Zen asked. ''Stay with number Eight, James said. ''She's the one we want.'' Zen gave Bobby a kick on the shoulder, and they accelerated off, up onto the clifftop road and toward Rodine. ''I think we pushed her into it,'' James said. ''Into what?'' ''Using the mole. Remember all that digging around the Rodine field?'' ''I think she was looking for the Wellsbourne Caverns.'' ''But that chalk mole we caught said something funny.'' The unstable chalk is the whole point, Jenny said, beginning to understand what James was on to. All those calculations in her room, I think I know what they mean, James said. There's a private car park for boats at the back of the marina. It's very close to the cliffs, and right about where that chalk mole was digging. I think she's going to bring the cliff down on top of the royal yacht. That's crazy. People could be killed, Jenny said. You saw how she looked, James said. I think she's used moles to make the cliffs unstable, and it's her final way of stopping the treasures from getting back to where they belong. Explosives, Jenny said. She must be using them if she wants to be able to control when the cliffs fall. And she needs to be sure that the treasure is on the yacht first. Let's hope we're not too late, James said. Look, the taxi's stopping. Up ahead, the taxi pulled over into the bus stop just before Rodine. They saw number eight get out of the car and run across the road, right towards the cliffs over the marina. Pull over, Jenny said. We need to stop her. Zen yanked the wheel and trod hard on Bobby's head. The lower rat let out a groan and jammed the brake on. They were right behind the taxi. James opened the door. Are we even? Zen asked. Yes, Jenny said. We're even. Thanks. No problem. The children jumped out and the van screeched away down the cliff-top road. They waited for a gap in the traffic, then sprinted over. For a moment, number eight was out of sight, then Jenny spotted her on the grassy top of the tallest cliff. They ran across the damp grass high above the water, setting sun at their backs, closing in on number eight. She was standing still, watching them, with a thin smile on her face. "'That's far enough!' the neat girl called out. Any closer and I push a button and this whole cliff will collapse on top of the ridiculous royal yacht. The orange sun was low on the horizon. James and Jenny's shadows stretched out in front of them, almost far enough to reach the feet of the dark-haired girl. In her hand, Jenny could now see, was a simple switch with a wire running down from it into a freshly dug Mole Hill.